0: I'm sure you have like some decent equipment there.
1: Uh, it's called a Macintosh. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that's, that's the
0: that's the that's the Mac mic, is it? Yeah, this and is it all be, It must be that like deep resonant voice that you have. So <laughs> yeah, it's still early. Yeah, I get high as quick as the day goes on. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, if you're good to go, let's uh, let's let's get going. So yes, sir. Welcome to the global band room. A podcast about bands and musicians across the world. My name is Keith Kelly and I'm a band director from the West Coast of Ireland. Each episode, I sit down with musicians to talk about their stories and bands and how they're making an impact in their communities. Before we start, you can find out more about the podcast and the people and stories that we feature over at globalbandroom.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at globalbandroom. All of the Global Banroom podcasts are brought to you by Kaleidoscope Adventures. Find out how you can travel beyond expectations at mykatrip.com. Now on with the show. So I am absolutely delighted to be welcoming uh, someone who I actually haven't had a chance to talk to in person before, um, uh, but, but has actually recorded my band at a, at a Wasby conference in 2017 in Utrecht. It's Mark Moret of Moret Music, and I am absolutely delighted. So many people, I'm sure, uh, know you and know of your work, and if they haven't had you record their bands, I'm sure they've heard plenty of your recordings. Mark, welcome to the Global Band Room. It is my pleasure
1: to be here indeed, yes.
0: Um, how has, let's start with the last uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, how has it been for you? Uh, clearly, you're someone that's out on the road um, fairly regularly. Um, you, you must enjoy some sort of travel if that's, if that's what you do. Um, it must have been a tough 18 months. Been extremely different.
1: Um, mm-hmm. In my entire life, uh, from the date of birth till uh, just recently, 57 years. Uh, Either we've taken family vacations or been on a job out of town with my parents uh, as a youth, all the way up to traveling up to 35 weeks a year as a part of a normal kind of recording. I've never been home 18 months straight in my entire life. (laughs) It was a complete and total uh, lifestyle change. Um, And it's actually kind of nice. You know, I got to know my friends better that I've grown up with my entire life. I've grown up in the same and still live in the same community that I grew up in, which is super neat. And where is that, Mark? This is Clarence, New York. So we're a suburb of Buffalo, New York. And just so you're getting a good geography thing, we're approximately 450 miles from New York City. So we're about as far away from New York City as you can get and still be in the state of New York. (laughs) Uh, Better reference, we're approximately, as the bird flies, 20 miles south of Toronto. So there's Lake Ontario. And if you go just 20 miles south, there's uh, Buffalo. Uh, the amazing part is it takes about an hour and a half to two hours to drive there. But um, as the bird flies, we're real close to Toronto, which is a fabulous city. Also, speaking of good bands and in, in, in cities.
0: Mm. Uh, and, you know, something that a lot of people have had to dabble in over the last 18 months is uh, sound engineering of some sort of uh, some sort of manner, uh, myself included uh, in, in that list of people too. Um, have you had a lot of digital projects to work on over the last year? Well, I am very blessed, uh, very lucky, you know, throughout my whole life.
1: Uh, and one of the things that I do is I generally work on a six to eight month backlog of work. Uh, we always have truly a couple hundred projects going on at one time, either they being convention program, uh conferences, or if we're doing uh, projects that are actually recording sessions. And each person works at a little bit different pace. And being on the road 35 weeks a year, there's probably about 20 recording sessions in that, and then about 15 music conferences that I do in that. So every year, you know, there's about 20 projects that we have. And some projects take, you know, a couple months, six months or so to accomplish. But the majority of them actually take anywhere from eight to 12 months or a couple of years. We'll record half of it one year, half of it the other year, or we'll just have someone who has a family issue, a timing issue because they're adjudicating or they're going to Europe for the summer and they just get behind on things. So I had a lot of backlog of work for pretty much um, eight months. So just about January 1st, 2021, is where kind of where we hit the wall where we caught up with the projects. Um, But with the engineering thing, I did a whole bunch of consulting and people ask me, it's like, so Mark, with everybody doing their own recording now, because you can't come, it's like, aren't you going to lose business? And it was actually almost the opposite of that. (laughs) People who had to engineer now realize this is not as easy as just sticking up a couple of microphones and plugging it into a computer. And especially in a band, because Hmm. a band surrounding is a whole different and hardest kind of thing to record that there is in the recording industry so it's a lot more difficult than people realize and I was able to actually get some people back that said I thought this was going to be easy and (laughs) uh, some people did you know and that's the great thing there are those people out there who will just sit behind a computer read manuals study and become expert themselves on it and a bunch of those people even said yes I can engineer this myself now but why would I want to do (laughs) that's Um,
0: (laughs) <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. I'm sure there's pl- plenty of people that really did figure it out while they had all of that time and now have a, a, a huge respect for the work that people like you do on a regular basis.
1: Absolutely.
0: And of course, there are those
1: that have figured it out and will do it themselves. And that's mm-hmm. great too. You know, uh, as long as people are recording, you know, documenting things just because we can't sell a CD or necessarily even sell a download does not mean we should not record. There's so much things that we have to do for historical documentation, our, you know, getting our band names out and our names out ourselves, as well as spreading the good word of great literature. And we've got so much now because we do have a global band room that we're all in that we all get to hear music from all over the country. And as we mentioned, as you mentioned earlier, Wasby is just such a great place for that too. I'm going to bring up Wasby a little bit later too, but um, it's just part of the great growth that we all have. So it hasn't been that bad in terms of the engineering and 2022 is going to be the busiest travel season I've ever had. People have been saving up projects. So it's been super nice being home for 18 months. It's been Super nice to see the calendar fill up, um, but there is a certain amount of dread of being on the road 35 weeks a year, you know, living in a hotel for 120 nights to 150 nights a year just doesn't seem as appealing as it did when I was in it for 40 years straight.
0: But I want to I talk about those 40 years, Mark, uh, and how you ended up in this very niche, very specific Type of role within our our, our band community. Um, where did where did your journey with music start? Um, was it in a band world? Um, I know you you, you talk about uh, your love of rock and roll and uh, and and other types of music too. Uh, but um, where did you where did you start on this journey? As I mentioned,
1: I'm blessed. I mean, I grew up in a band house. My dad was a band director, orchestra director, and he uh as also he had a big band uh he was also a big jazzer i'm a square i mean i just didn't, i can't swing man <laughs> um but well i also play trombone so there's the other part of that thing so um but he was a band director orchestra director he started recording an elementary school band director the beginners and in a short period of time he realized after getting out of college and listening to his elementary band and orchestra that <clears throat> Got to be some changes made every day, but in a 30 minute rehearsal period, by the time they take the instruments out, you warm up, get through scales, and you're actually working on music, you know, that whole half hour that you have, there wasn't enough time in the day to listen, give instructions, and then have them implement them. So what he would do is he started right off recording very similar. If you see in the background here, this is a rebox A77. Wow. um, This is a vintage machine, not the same one, but this is the similar style in which my dad started the recording company back in 1958 is when he bought it the first time. And um, he started recording his rehearsals on this machine, similar machine, and went home at night listened to them, made notes. So at the beginning of the day, when the orchestra and or band came into the room, there were these corrections that needed to make. So he was able to go in and immediately correct things. You know, as a band director up there, you've got 65 voices coming at you and you may be worried about this clarinet line here, but the trumpets over there might be doing something that is not right also, but you're trying to get the clarinets taken care of and you just don't have time or don't notice the, the trumpets till later on. And then you're like, son of a gun, they should have been playing that with a lift instead of a, a a legato line on there. So he ended up getting so good with these instructions that as an elementary school band in 1964, his band went to the New York World's Fair and as an elementary band performed there. He also wow. took an elementary school orc bands to competitions and was competing with high schools at the highest level as an elementary band. He never won any competitions, but he was playing the hardest literature at the time. It was stunning. Um, I could not find the concert program, but there's actually a concert program from that 1964 World's Fair performance that I have.
0: It it sounds like your dad, with with that sort of innovative approach to rehearsals, um, would have got on quite well during the pandemic with having to think outside of that box and use uh, technology to assist in teaching. Absolutely.
1: I mean, and I, as I do it all as as our promotional thing, I call him a pioneer who was one of the first to put the tape recorder together with your band and rehearsal techniques to get better. You know, eventually he got um, requests from other people in the school district. He uh, taught in the Williamsville school district here in the Buffalo, New York area. And his high school director friends would come up and say, Hey, we've got a Soloist coming in in front of our band, but we want to make sure we're good. Will you come and record our rehearsals too? And he said, "Of course." So we started recording rehearsals for his district and his other musician friends. And then someone said to him finally, and this is in the early '60s, Vince, why don't you record my rec- my concert and can you make records of it? And my dad was like, "Sure." He never turned down anything. It was amazing. He just said, "Always yes first, and then figure it out how to do it later." So he ended up joining the Century Record program. So if you have records back from the 70s and 60s, um, the Century Record company was one of the largest, and they had franchises across the United States. Um, I'm not sure if they expanded beyond the United States, but they had contracts for recording what we call all states, which are the best people of a state of, um, we have 50 of them, and they would record them. and produce records of them and eventually sell them. They were one of the first companies that actually had an educational kind of reference. So you could actually buy a LP box set of 25 or 30 albums of the different All-States from around the country. Well, Century evidently was not making enough money at the time. So they kind of went out of business in the late 60s, early 70s. And my dad, as always, saw the void there and said, hey, you know, we could take over these programs and we could produce these records for these other, you know, Century affiliates that were across the country. So we started the Mark Educational Recording label and we had about 30 uh, affiliates across the country, franchisees around the country. They would do the recording there. They would send us our, their tapes anywhere from edited to raw, and we would edit them. And then we would do the record mastering. We would do the record jacket and the layout and the typesetting of the album jackets and send them a completed package. So we did that until basically the late seventies when the oil crisis, if you're old enough, there was a big oil crisis in the middle seventies, uh, skyrocketing costs of oil and the, um, In the United States, our um, environmental protection agency kind of got involved and they said, you know, records are kind of caustic and produce a lot of horrible chemicals. We need to change the way records are made. And so with the cost of increase of vinyl, because we had to come up with new formulations and with the oil crisis, because all vinyl is basically petroleum uh, manufactured, like 99% of the stuff in my office. (laughs) And... um, Fewer and fewer people came in to the uh, the program, they started dropping out. So uh, that kind of disbanded in the late 70s and then the Mark Custom or Mark Records label kind of took over from there. And we're kind of like a lone wolf now out there. And I certainly consult and help other recording companies around the country, but they're not part of the Mark umbrella. And with so much of the technology, I mean, you can make CDs at home now and you can make so many things at home and with digital technology. Uh, back then the barrier of entry in the early 60s and 70s was $50,000 to try to get a a tape machine, microphones, and things like that. I mean, now the barrier of entry is buying a computer and you have GarageBand on it already loaded. So a a lot more people are doing it now. But again, that's great because we have much better outreach for this. So I grew up in this environment. And um, even, uh, let me get back and even how the company was named, because when we started, we were Century Records. And Mm -hmm. so eventually sentry, I don't know if they kind of knew that they were going out of business or something, but they made sure that they had all the affiliates come up with their own company name. So we did the mark name, but my parents didn't know what the name of the company. I was maybe three to five years old at the time. And one of the greatest joys I had in my life was pretending I was dad, doing a recording. (laughs) So he had a two by four, um, small, and he put a nail on both sides, and then what he would do. Is I would take an empty reel and a full reel of tape and a pen. And I would just reel the tape from one reel and then I would re- <laughs> and then reel it to the other. And I would be going back and forth just like that. Well, I was doing that one day while mom and dad were trying to think of the company name and I dropped it on my dad's foot and he yelled out Mark in pain. And my mom <laughs> said to him, that's the name of the company. So <laughs> actually by me being a klutz, which has transcended throughout my whole life. And of course, uh, forced me to play trombone. Um, <laughs> Klutz has caused the name of the company to be become, and that's, that's what it is. His name was Vince, by the way, Vincent Moritz.
0: So that's a fantastic story. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and, to to know that you would go on to then uh, manage the company and take it even to the next level. That's, that's a, that's an amazing story. Um, and, uh, Really, really, really glad that you told us that. Um, you know, you say a lot of uh, people, Mark, uh, are getting into recording. It's a lot easier. The barrier to entry is there. It, it is a lot lower than it used to be. However, there's a lot of people that don't know how to record band. Um, there's a lot of people that know how to set up microphones. Uh, there's a lot of people that know how to produce an MP3 from those uh, recordings. Uh, however, uh, bands have a unique um skill set i'm sure that, that 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 is required to record them properly and anyone that's tried to record their own band using their own equipment probably knows this more than others um what do most non-band people or actually a lot of band people <laughs> get wrong about recording bands and that's such a such an important
1: thing the band is one of the most difficult genres to record and the reason why is because we deal with both directional instruments, indirect instruments and omnidirectional instruments. If you wanna put the percussion in there, percussion instruments are pretty much omnidirectional, especially with a low end. So you just, can't put two mics up because you have to actually kind of know what the band setup is. I mean, if your trumpets are off to the side or if they're straight in front of the microphones, Uh, you know, traditionally clarinets, flutes are are pretty much in the front, but it's the where you set up your brass and your percussion, and even how distant you set your group up together. The uh, contrary to popular beef, the wider your ensemble, the thinner sound you get, and the more compact and tight ensemble, the bigger sound you get, which is why our British bass bands, especially fanfare orchestras, sit Mm -hmm. close together, because they create an incredible wall of sound. And many people think because you sit close together, you lose your stereo image, but you don't. You actually still get a fabulous stereo image, because everyone is compact, and you can still hear, again, with a conductor perspective recording that I do, you can still hear where all those colors and sounds are coming from. That is kind of one of the things I've coined a phrase um, because there's all kinds of recording techniques also. I particularly think the best seat in the house is on the podium. I mean, that's the greatest thing. As a young musician growing up, I was blessed to be a student conductor with my high school ensemble. So even though dad you know, had conducted and I had been on the podium you know, as a little kid, but once you get up there more as a budding adult and you stand in front of the band and then you hear all these colors and this power coming at you, it is just such an intoxicating feeling. And uh, specifically, if you're using uh, certain equipment, I love to use the uh, Sony MDR-V6s or the 7506 headphones to listen, especially to band, uh, because you get a clean, clear image and you're totally immersed in the sound. So with that conductor perspective recording that I like to do, you can place the microphones in any number of ways. And sadly, because of technology, I'm starting to use more and more microphones as I become older and it just gives us more flexibility now. Before the skill was a half hour to 45 minutes before every recording setup and setting up the microphones because you'd have your center pair and then your outside and then your solo mics and you might have highlight mics also. So you'd have to spend because it was a live to two track. I mean, whatever you heard when you recorded that's what you got. And maybe you could EQ some stuff at compression and limiting, but, but you couldn't take out individual microphones. You couldn't take out individual instruments to try to help that. So the skill back in the day, which is still one of the greatest thrills of it, is to do a live to two track recording and have all these microphones up and have something that truly makes you tingle. But nowadays, as you can see in the background, um, I'm using a computer, I'm using Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. I've got all these kind of microphones this is a nine channel recording I did for a solo piano gig that I just happen to have up here that I'm working on right now. Um, and still, I try to get as great of a sound, but I'm only trying to get 85% to 90% of the final sound on the initial recording now, and then I'm going to leave the other 10%. know that's a taboo in the industry. Fix it in the mix is probably the worst phrase it's banned in this studio. <laughs> but so many times you do your basic tracks, you know your initial raw recording, and you'll say, I'll fix it in the mix. Uh, uh, no, fix it right the first time, and then you won't have to fix it. You'll just have to polish it or enhance it. So the uh, the difficult part, again, as I had mentioned, is that we're dealing with direct instruments, indirect instruments, and omnidirectional instruments. And making sure the percussion is fabulous is also one of the things that I don't care what the genre is. If it's a rock and roll music, classical music, jazz, If the drums sound good, your percussion sounds good, the whole ensemble is going to sound good. Too many times we've heard a recording and the snare drum sounds like they're an entirely different hall. You've got the woodwinds up front and you've got a great present on the brass. Then there's the snare drum going It's just like, I think there's a snare drum about 40 feet in the back of the ensemble. So trying to draw all those instruments together and make them all sound equal value, or at least as the music describes them to be equal value, is is the hard trick. And um, sometimes you get lucky doing it yourself and you can set up two microphones and it'll be great. Sometimes um, maybe not so much. And you also have to deal with the hall. Too many times bands are just so great that we have a place to play. Uh, we'll play in churches, we'll play in closets, we'll play in cafetoriums, we'll play in outdoors, we'll play anywhere. We just want a chance to share our music with everyone. So if you're doing a recording, um, for instance, Wasby is a great place because sometimes we record in, in just absolutely fabulous halls. And then when we were in Bonol, Spain this time, we were in uh, El Tetro Auditorium, which was outside and it was just absolutely an incredible venue. Just perfect acoustics in there even though we were outdoors and the recording came out great other than the occasional chirp chirp of a bird or or something like that but that is you know part of the joy of outdoor live recording but there are so many things to take into consideration that um a lot of it's job security and I've been blessed again through Corona to have a lot of people try to record themselves. And they're like, well, how do you get the angles? Because there's so many angles to deal with. So even starting with the center pair, you know, how far up, how far down, how far left, how far right, how far pointing to the first row, second row, third row of the ensemble. And then your outliers, are you using kind of omnidirectional or using the XY or using an MS? Or are you using an ORTF, which I happen to use a derivation of the ORTF? Uh, which was developed in France, uh, French French radio, which is basically a a stereo pair in the center and two outliers. And that gives you a very fair, accurate sound of a band. And again, a lot of people don't have time for sound checks. You know, you just put up a couple microphones and kind of pray that you get a good recording. So it's uh, very difficult. There's a multi-layers. And then you have to deal with all the EQ on the other side of it, too, as well as trying to get rid of the flaws in the sound of the hall that you may have again a very reverberant high-endy kind of uncomfortable or a vacuum where you have absolutely no reverb so And then the the, the after effect is the post-production part. Again, like you're doing the equalization you're you're using any kind of, I try not to use compressing or limiting because that is pretty much the job of the director. As me as an engineer, and even as a producer of a session, I do not want to take the stick out of your hand. You've Mm -hmm. spent what, how many months rehearsing the band for this recording session? And then an arrogant engineer producer comes in and says, oh, I think it should be this or that. And you either as the director have to come up with an eloquent way of saying, no, that's not how I want it. Or you follow the, the producer. A lot of times we talk about this ahead of time. So we have a, a good idea, but the conductor is the person who decides how loud, how soft a, a, a section is. And as an engineer, I just despise seeing people touching faders during a classical music concert. And it's just like, why are you touching faders? <laughs> it's, it's a Classical music concert, A, B, you're recording it multi-track. So you can change all that stuff later. it's like, get the recording down and then you can play with it later. So there's a lot of factors and don't mess up the original recording. That's the number one thing. Don't screw up the original recording. You can screw up the mix because you can fix that. (laughs)
0: Don't
1: screw up the original recording.
0: Tell me, Mark, um, there's plenty of uh, elementary bands or community bands, rural bands, um that uh, might be listening to this and thinking well uh, we'd love to maybe try recording ourselves uh, at the end of the year maybe maybe recording our, our christmas concerts um what would your what would your top five tips be for uh, a self-recording uh, small rural band uh, with, with no real budget for recording uh, using equipment that might be available to them
1: uh, one of the big things is I find, especially uh, in the United States with school districts, is they bring in consulting firms, and they always want to give you the biggest board and the most impressive thing in the world, but they don't take into consideration that the person operating the board doesn't have a clue what they're doing. They're <laughs> generally music people or someone from the AV department that's going to sit back there and try to figure out how to do this. So the first thing is, as always, kiss. Keep it simple, Simon. Um, I have um you know not necessarily for myself um but this is a backup that i use this is a traditional just zoom h4n stereo recorder um if you are truly in a pinch they have built-in microphones here i mean you could attach this to a stand in front of your podium and you could record just using this i mean that's how simple it could be Hmm. or It does have XLR inputs on here. So you could use truly condenser microphones. Um, I suggest high-end AKG, Sennheiser. I mean, I'm very happy to always consult with people if you send me a note and it's like, hey, this is what I use. Some of the equipment I sell, not anymore uh, as much because of mail order. And of course, sending over to Europe is is always an issue. (laughs) Of course. but You don't have to get extravagant in this kind of stuff. The first time someone suggested this to me, I was like, no. There's no way that something that costs two to $300 US is gonna do as good of a job as my $20,000 Pro Tools, high definition rig with Apogee filters and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And son of a gun, it, it does come darn close in a pinch. So you don't even necessarily need to have five tips. It is just getting that simple recorder. And again, just even a simple microphone stand, with two microphones on it, if you are if you have that luxury of having a microphone stand, always a little bit above the head of the conductor because you're going to want the microphones pointing down into the ensemble because sound rises. And especially, again, you've got clarinets and you've got these instruments that play down, sound bounces off the stage. You've got the directionality of the trumpets, trombones coming straight at you. You've got the omnidirectional tubas, your phonemes that have all their sound floating around there and, again, the percussion. So. It is probably more advantageous to make sure that the mics are not pointing, especially if your trumpets are extremely in front of the conductor. Don't put the microphones pointing straight towards the bell of the trumpets, kind of angle them down to the first or second row of the woodwinds. So the directional sound will not be totally on access like this, and that's not good because that would be trumpet with band accompaniment. But if you put it down, then the sound is not totally head on and you're able to get a little bit more of a reflection and not as direct of a sound for the trumpets, for example. So this way you can get hopefully your woodwind brass balance. And without having highlight mics on your percussion section, you just hope that the the back wall will allow the projection of the percussion to shoot through. You know, a lot of times we have curtains behind us and it's tough to get the percussion to project a lot of times, or you've got a hard, uh, reflective surface back there, and it's way easy for percussion, and you conduct, this is one of the greatest things, Jerry Junkin was at a, um American Bandmasters Association convention with the Dallas Winds, and they're at the dress rehearsal, and he goes, he's, he stops them, he goes, percussion, when I'm directing like this, that's not saying, hi, let's meet up after the rehearsal for a drink, that's calm down just a little bit. You know, (laughs) they were playing in a very reverberant hall. And so it was one of those extraordinary circumstances where he had to do that. And, uh, you know, that's how we uh, have to conduct sometimes and depending upon the hall, because again, I, uh, while I'm a trombone player, as I have grown more mature in my life, if you don't practice, um, you lose your chops really fast. So I've kind of stuck myself back in the percussion section and, um, Playing there this summer again because we had a year off, so it's been a couple of years since i played that there. I'm doing cymbals, uh, we're doing um Samson and Delilah, and we're doing uh, 1812. So they assigned me the cymbal part for that, which is way awesome. Hey, as a bass trombone player, we don't get too many glamorous parts, so playing cymbals on those two songs is a freaking blast. It is which,
0: which so band awesome. are you, uh, which band are you playing
1: with, Mark? Uh, it's just our Clarence Community Band, our local mm. community band here. Because um, you're very
0: close to Buffalo, uh, Amy Steiner with the uh, B- Buffalo Niagara uh, Concert Band. I thought you might have been playing with 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 her band. A- 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 Amy is uh, a- Amy's um, on a committee with me with the Association of Concert Bands, so uh, we know each other well.
1: Oh, she is just absolutely fabulous, and Craig Earhart and. Uh, all the guys and, and, the, uh, and women, uh, Val, um, are just absolutely fabulous musicians in that band. I'm not good enough to play with them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and it would also require you going to rehearsals. Um, like in my community band, um, sadly, um, I did have a couple gigs this summer where I did have to travel and I apologized. I'm like, I'm sorry, Lou, the director. I'm like, I'm, I'm traveling too much. I'm not, I'm only going to be able to make two rehearsals out of all the things and He goes. That's okay. You can sight read it well enough. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. So after the dress rehearsal, you know, we're packing up the gear in the percussion section to go uh, on the truck. And he's like, Hey, Mark, the cymbals have to go over there. And I had a bass drum beater with me and I had um, a triangle and tambourine. And he goes, you can put those over there. I go, no, I'm taking those home. I'm actually going to (laughs) practice. So I actually... Yeah, for anyone who ever had me as a student, and if they ever listened to this and they ever found
0: out I actually practiced, they would be, <laughs> I mean, we'd have to call 911. What's changed? The pandemic yeah. has has made... Big changes in Mark's life. Mark, I want to talk a little bit about uh, today's sponsors, Kaleidoscope Adventures. Uh, Kaleidoscope Adventures are uh, 28 years in business. They've been providing travel for uh, bands, orchestras, choirs uh, across the U.S. and now to the world as well. Um, Mark, you've done a lot of traveling uh, as someone who's attended many WASBE conferences and recorded bands around the world. Um, What's been your favorite memories of travel? Well,
1: not that I'm kind of playing up to the hometown crowd at all, but I'd have to say <laughs> that my favorite conference in the entire 58 years of my life was the Wasby conference in Killarney. Uh, it was <laughs> just uh, the Glen Eagle Hotel, uh, meeting the people there, the literature, the, the music that was there, having bars that didn't close. Um, it was just absolutely an incredible <laughs> incredible time bars that are
0: meant to close but don't
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah the first night we got there we're in the hotel and of course at wasby it is a huge the best class reunion in the world because we only get to see each other maybe the midwest clinic in chicago in december and then even biannually so maybe once every two years you get to see some of these people Mm. so there's so much to catch up on even though we're facebook friends and we do band chats and all this kind of fun stuff around once you get to see them in person there's so much to catch up on and you get very close very quickly especially at Wozby, because it's such a small conference you have to be friends with everyone because hey you might have to sit at a table with a stranger who just happens to be you know bill of spark you just never know who is going to be sitting with an open table that you have to sit next to so you're going to be sitting next to someone of esteem in some country and uh, especially ireland the community um at the time, Fergus Carroll was the president of WASB, or he was the um he was our coordinator of that conference. Yeah. Yeah. For that. And you know, to spend more time with him. Um, and then later on getting to know Antoinette, you know, that's just absolutely a great love story to uh, high school lovebirds who end mm-hmm. up hooking up later on in life. That's awesome. And of course, with the with the great local organizing committee, I mean Fergal Carroll, Danny Carroll, the great Danny Carroll. Amazing Danny I Carroll. Hope you're watching Danny. Hey, Danny um and the committee that he all put together for that conference was was just stunning um yakub De we brought in and did a monstrous band and chorus piece his brother came in uh just for the concert i mean that was before he sold the husk um so that was still during the big kind of glory years um and the um
0: and there was yeah. a young there was a young lad in the army band that was uh, that was playing somewhere in the background. That was myself <laughs> 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 well before my podcasting or even conducting this. Um, yeah. uh, Wasby is, uh, is is a great event. And if there's anyone out there that would uh, like to travel to Killarney and see what uh, what Irish bands are like, or if you'd like to travel to any of the great Wasby events that happen all over the world, you can contact Kaleidoscope Adventures at mykatrip.com and uh, work with me and the team to uh, help make that travel happen. Um, Mark, I want to talk a little bit about what you think we have mm-hmm. ahead of us in the next couple of years with, in the band world. Um, uh, obviously, we've had 18 months to kind of, as m- many people say, reset um, and maybe uh, evaluate What's important to us and, and you know, what's maybe not important to us? Uh, do you see any changes happening or are we going straight back into business as usual with conventions and clinics and recording as normal?
1: Well, w- one of the big things I believe in, um, because I'm a live musician, as are you, one of the things I'm scared to death that we're going to go to is creating a virtual audience. I mean, mm-hmm. it was very successful and necessary. We were able to perform and have people... Across the world listen to us. But unfortunately, um, well, fortunately and unfortunately, you know, people who couldn't get out were able to hear us. And I think with the technology now, we'll be able to stream concerts and make them available to people in different platforms. So we will be able to reach an audience that we never were able to reach before. A lot of people got computers or upgraded their technology to be able to see these kinds of streaming things. But again, one of my biggest fears is we want fannies in the seats. We wanna play to full houses. We don't wanna play to 100 people in the audience and 500 people in virtual land. Uh, We get our feedback. We derive our energy as musicians from that audience and that feedback. And I'm worried a little bit that maybe we won't have full conventions. Maybe we won't have as many people that are gonna be, again, fannies in the seats. You know, The applause is our recognition for the months of work that we've done and years of practice to get up to the point of that concert. So I'm hoping that in terms of audience-wise, we still are able to get those people back. And I think it'll be a slow progress um, because obviously there are still people who are very, very paranoid and rightfully so about this. I mean, these variants, we don't know. So. I'm hoping that we can slowly start to get back. I think it'll be slowly. It might take us even a couple of years until we can either come up with a true vaccine for this instead of uh, temporary vaccines. Mm -hmm. Um, But we can still get the word out there. Now, literature wise, that's gonna be an interesting thing. And um, these poor composers had to do so many score reductions of their own music to try to get them in the past 18 months. So we have something to play when we can only have 10 of us together six feet apart and hopefully can still create music. Um, I think one of the things, the a uh, lot of composers are going to be coming up with a lot of new music and hopefully a lot of new ideas. Um, Alex Shapiro is a composer. She's a does a lot with electronics and wind band. And uh, she did a piece called Suspended. I just did the world premiere recording this summer of that with the Kappa Kappa Psi, Tau Beta Sigma uh, fraternity. And sorority commissioned that for their 101st convention uh, that they had. And um, I, I think hopefully that we'll be able to see more of the mending and the blending of other things. You know, Stephen Bryant and um, Jim Bonney, early days uh, were starting to incorporate more and more electronics with our band music as we went on. Of course, then you go back into the 70s and some of the experimental music that wasn't quite... As um, melodic as as they are now, uh, the early days of the Moog synthesizers. I mean, we're not talking Tomita days uh, with the Planets and the early Moog synthesizers. But some of the early electronics with band didn't quite work out as great as they are now. Um, one of the big things is, and I will encourage all of you, if you do create music with electronics and an ensemble, please treat the electronics as a musical instrument, not as electronics they should be blended in with the sound and it should sound acoustic and it should not sound like it's coming from a a computer best you can uh just from Mm -hmm. audience perspective it is um more pleasant of course and hopefully you know gosh you know we've also um i I think we're going to have a lot of standard band music but how many more times can we write the same patterns? I mean, that's been one of my things as, as a youth growing up. You know, we've been a medium, uh, music medium, you know, since polyphony for what, 400 years at the most. And we're kind of using up stuff. And, I'm not sure where we're going to be able to go. I thought maybe with the experimental age in the 70s, maybe we were getting into more 12-tone stuff, half tones, quarter tones kind of thing. And um, But I don't think we have a sophisticated enough ear yet and audience to be able to want to play that music and or find it enjoyable to listen other than every once in a while. I still kind of like major chords
0: <laughs> and it's it's you know we i spoke on the last episode um uh, quite extensively with philip spark who one of the criticisms of, of philip's music and i i made this uh, comment to him would be that it's it's very melodic <laughs> but musicians Tend to uh, just to your point around uh, do we have an audience for for some of those sounds and I think uh, composers and conductors uh, and musicians playing that sort of repertoire on a regular basis do have an ear for 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 uh, for different um, different sounds and different patterns and different um, uh, progr- progressions um, uh, but you're right I think audiences. Um, and particularly when your first concern, as you mentioned, is, are we going to be able to generate audiences? I think that's going to be a balance that we all that we all struggle with. It will. It was pre pandemic, but of course, post pandemic, when we're trying to encourage people to come out of those hobbit holes again and and come to our concerts, um, it it might be it might be a challenge.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and one of the things, especially in the United States, that is. Um, grown exponentially, I'd say or maybe over the last five years, is the South American slash Latin influence of music. Um, I'm not sure how it has gone across the pond to you in Ireland, but we've had a lot of Brazilian, um, uh, again, South American, uh, Latin-influenced music that has become much more popular, again, for us in the United States, because it's a different sonority, different rhythm patterns, different kind of chords that we're going to, and thus makes it a heck of a lot more fun uh, for us, Conga del Fuego. I love that. We played that one this summer also. Oh, we talked about a percussion piece. We had only four of us in our percussion section. So we're doing these Latin pieces. We're running around like chickens with our heads cut off truly to try to get to all the instruments. That's what I practiced, the tambourine and the maracas for the uh, Conga del Fuego.
0: Uh, and to your to your point, Mark, about about electronic music as well. You know, anyone listen to the podcast that thinks uh, that might be something for uh, those uh, those grade four, grade five, grade six plus bands. Um, if you listen to the repertoire Happy Hour podcast a number of months ago, Jason Noble, his choice at a grade one level was a piece called "Metaphysical Travels" by Jennifer Rose. Um, it is amazing. It has these. Yeah, really cool electronic sounds that can be uh, added into a grade one, great maybe grade one and a half uh, uh, level uh, band piece, and just really wonderful. And introducing those new sounds to to uh, either kids or more smaller rural bands, maybe. Uh, but definitely, uh, it, it's not exclusive to those high end uh, Dallas Wind Symphony uh, bands. We can be experimenting uh, with our with our with our own bands too. I think.
1: What a fabulous point. Absolutely.
0: So uh, without any further ado, let's uh, wrap up the podcast with our new segment called Off the Rostrum, um, where I get to know you outside of a music capacity and some of the things that you like to do and how you spend your time. Let's ask uh, a very simple one to start. What's your favorite movie?
1: you had kind of mentioned a little thing earlier about coming out of our hobbit holes i i consider the hobbit and all three extended versions of the lord <laughs> of the rings to be the greatest movie ever
0: you'll um, you'll you'll never you'll never uh you'll never look at this oh <laughs> <laughs> for anyone listening it. to the podcast i just happen to have the three extended versions of the dvd right at fingertips my son my 10 year old son has decided that that's going to be something that he's, now he's watched all the Marvel movies. So he's asked me, can he watch the Lord of the Rings? So that's going to be uh, an epic sit down. <laughs> it, is, it is fabulous. And
1: again, one of the great joys of my life is where I'm blessed on the way to Singapore, uh, Wasby. I had the opportunity, I bought The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and I read them on the way to and from Wasby in Singapore. And it truly helped accentuate how great the movies were because, and also you finally figure out just like, you know, for, uh son of Thrain, son of blah, blah, you know, and it, because Tolkien just has so many adjectives and he uses things that just throws people off. So it was a heck of a lot nice to see the movie and understand, oh, Mithra uh, is the same as Gandalf, is the same, you know, mm. the, 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 the elves call them different and
0: well, here's a controversial question for you then. Um, which score do you prefer? Uh, the Harold Shores or Johan de May's symphony? Johan, that's not even, of that's course. Not even close. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next question.
1: When Johan did the London Symphony Orchestra version, I thought that was just incredible. So it was a little bit of both there.
0: I've had I've had many people uh, from a non-band background come to concerts where we've been performing either the entire symphony or uh, parts of it that came up to me afterwards and told me how they how much they loved that movie and that music just brought all of the movie back to them <laughs> and they're I had to, I had to just smile and nod and pretend that yes, that was the mu- music for the movie. I didn't want to upset them, uh, but yeah, it's it's so cinematic and it's uh, in it, the way that that uh, that, that wrote, writes it. Um, okay, here's a here's a here's a question for you. Um, what do you normally sing at karaoke?
1: You're gonna love this. <laughs> I boycott karaoke. It is way too close to my real job. My (laughs) job is to be in the studio, sit on the other microphone and say, "Okay, so you're flat here, you're sharp here, your rhythm is off there. Karaoke, to me, is the truly definition of hell. Um, So I avoid it like the plague.
0: (laughs) Well, on on that same note, do you listen to music in the car or is it too close to work? Are you a podcast guy like me?
1: I truly have to cleanse my ears when I'm in yeah. the car. I do a lot of driving. Um, I try not to fly of those 35 weeks of the year. I try not to fly too much. So I do listen to podcasts. I listen to talk radio. Um, also because when I'm driving, I have to keep myself mentally stimulated. Music relaxes me and I enjoy mm. it so much. I just find myself going ah, too much with the music as opposed to talk radio podcast. So get your blood boiling because someone will say something it's like, "How could you then it's just
0: absolutely ridiculous and
1: then you're awake <laughs> driving through the night for a while so
0: mark yeah. would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert yes <laughs> both
1: both um, multiple personalities for sure in, in terms of that regard um, very much I love going out I love um, making sure people are having a good time I mean it's it's so easy to do I just can't let people sit back and just kind of sit on a bus while you're going from one place to another, even with strangers. So I love engaging people, learning from them. That's the biggest thing. And that's the greatest joy, again, why I'm blessed in my life, because I realize even if you're a little one and a half, two year old kid, all the way up to a hundred year old person, there's always something, even in a minute conversation that you could extract from them and learn from them and help make your life better. So um, that's also part of growing as a human being, but especially during the pandemic, I think like many of us, I went into a little tiny shell here and I went into a big shell and, you know, coming out of that sometimes isn't easy Um, to be on. Sometimes you have to have times when you're off. So. I think
0: anyone that has ever attended the Midwest Clinic knows that need to uh, be off for, for a week or two after attending any large conference or, or clinic like that. Uh, Mark, it's been absolutely wonderful to have you and get to know your work and get to know uh, your philosophies behind your work. And uh, if anyone has never come across your work, where can they find you? Where can they find uh, Mark Records um, and, and reach out and say hello?
1: Well, we can be found at www.markcustom.com. That's our website, the company website. Um, it's getting uh, easier and easier to find our product, you know, digitally throughout any platform that you have. Any kind of recording that we've done is available at just about every download site in the con- in the world, I should say. Um, streaming is kind of spotty. Um, You know, a lot of projects I do, it's kind of tough to find them on Spotify or your streaming sites because of the investment that we have in so many of these projects, we try to extract every kind of dollar before we start giving it away for nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same thing with physical CD sales, those are a little bit tougher now to get. A lot of stores are no longer carrying them. So our website is, is a fabulous place for that.
0: Brilliant, Mark thanks so much for for being here um uh, enjoy all the future travels and concerts and recordings that you're going to be doing and i'm looking forward to hearing a lot of it
1: well thank you so much it has been truly my treat and my pleasure to be here and for those of you who are listening who don't know this we tried to do this maybe nine months ago (laughs) or or longer during the pandemic and uh keith got a brand new computer like just before the interview and he's like setting it up for the first time and trying to get everything ready. So I am glad at long last to be joining you and thank you very much for the opportunity. And I'm going to say hello to all my friends across the world and especially in Ireland. So thank you so much for having me, Keith. Thanks, Mark.
0: Thank you so much again for joining me and my guests in the band room this week. I'll be back next episode talking to more great guests from around the band world. So head over to wherever you get your podcast from and make sure you subscribe. If you've enjoyed the episode, maybe even leave us a review and share it with your band buddies. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Global Bandroom and on our website globalbandroom.com. Until next time, I'll see you back in the bandroom.